Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 47. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. We're up to episode 47. Had you asked me when we started this, I thought we would never get past episode 3 before we threw in the towel. So... Yeah, weird that it's gone on this long. So I am joined in the guide shack this morning, a beautiful Saturday morning with Christopher as per usual. Uh, We've got Allison from last week and we are also joined by another uh, person who's attending the fall semester. We've got Gina Beach. So how is everyone this morning? Fully caffeinated? Great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, coffee's great. The weather's gorgeous. It's a lovely fall day in Maine. Too early to tell. Too early to tell. Too early to tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we just wrapped up week two of the fall semester. Um, busy, busy, busy. We've got a whole bunch of people going for the journeyman certification. So we're actively churning through workbooks, doing background research on fish and mammals and plants and um, making bow drill sets. Uh Swinging axes, the whole nine yards. Um, week two, we just, uh, now we're really into the thick of things. So all the sort of slow, choppy bits that you always start a long course with, they're kind of gone now. And now we're sort of into the routine. Everything's kind of fluid and everybody is just performing and working away. So we're super excited about that. We haven't had any big uh, dust-ups yet. Um, nobody's murdered anybody else or anything Anything like that? Not not yet, anyway. Not that we told you about. Not that... that <laughs> right. So, of course, once again, clearly, yeah. I'm oblivious to the obvious. Yeah. You didn't notice we had 10 students at the start of the semester? And we have mm-hmm. nine now? No. I can only count to six. That doesn't... What? Yeah. Okay. Doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. I would figure with 10 fingers, you'd at least be able to get to that. That's how I roll. With your fingers? <laughs> anyway... anyway. So today uh, we are going to talk with um, with Gina and Allison. We want to talk about women in bushcraft, women in the outdoors, because they will have a much more interesting and unique perspective on that than Christopher and I do. Uh, you know, obviously our perspective is sort of from the outside in, but you guys have that inside perspective. Yeah, so I started uh, researching what I wanted to do for uh, what I lovely am referring to as my late onset gap year. I'm a professional educator and this is my 10th year and instead of going into the 
classroom as a teacher. I decided to go into the outdoor classroom as a student this semester and really gain uh, a lot of practical hands-on skills. I have a lot of knowledge about animals and plants and constellations and very little hands-on stuff. I was telling uh, some other participants, I was never even asked to mow the lawn as a kid. I have never wielded an axe until coming to Jack Mountain. Wielded. Wielded. Yeah, like wielded. <laughs> and now I'm felling trees yeah. like a champ. Um, so I think it was also very hard for some of my friends and family in the city. I'm from Cleveland and lived a long time in Chicago to wrap their head around the idea of why would I want to live outside for nine weeks and go to bushcraft school? It's like, oh, are you going to become a doomsday prepper? Oh, are, are you going to go on naked and afraid? Like the idea that I might want to gain these skills for uh, like my own personal and professional life was really hard to get in the heads of, of a lot of people. I think that's a common thing for, I mean, that's how, that's the currency of our modern world, right? When, when I tell people what I do for a living, they're like, oh, so you're like, and then insert the name of bad TV show X, Y, or Z. Like, oh, are you going to go on, you know, show whatever, Naked and Afraid? Full disclosure, I worked on Naked and Afraid for the first three years. So, no, I'm never going on Naked and Afraid. Uh, You've seen how the sausage is made. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. seen the inside of the sausage factory. But it's just that, yeah, that whole bit about, like, if there's any motivation to do anything at all where it doesn't end up being on some really crappy TV show. Right? It's pretty funny. So, a little bit of background about Gina, who was just speaking. Um Public school teacher in Chicago for how many years? For eight years. For eight years. And then... And then I taught. Took, took a break and went to Asia. Yeah. So I had a Fulbright Award to teach in a teacher's training college in Laos for a year. And if there is any culture that is bushcrafting, it is the Lao culture. They are functional hunter-gatherers where they're hunting with spears and blow... Uh, blow guns. Blow guns. Um, they do a ton of improvised like yokes for their oxen and and plows and they're using old bombshells to post up their homes and they do a ton with that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) yeah with like weather and monsoons and carving their own um boats and it's a culture of improvisation and it was really impressive to me i was like i want to know how to do this better and live with the land better and uh here i am that's super cool. And and you can't tell this from listening out there in podcast land, but Gina is a complete badass. To get to the field school, how, how did you get to Boston? I flew to Boston. Gina flew to Boston. And boy, are my arms tight. Oh, no. <laughs> and after getting uh, on the ground in Boston, opened up her luggage, put together her bicycle, and rode her bicycle from Boston to Masardis, Maine. So she rode her bicycle through the streets of downtown Boston. And it was terrifying. I'm terrified driving like a 2,000 pound hunk of metal that is a giant pickup truck through Boston. Like I, I grip the wheel really hard and I'm all nervous and all these little cars are zooming around me. I couldn't imagine doing it on a bike. I think I'd be afraid if I was in like an old Sherman tank. I would still be terrified. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, so that's Gina. She She's like, yeah, I'll just ride my bicycle through the streets of Boston and then across New England up to the field school. I had never been to Maine. I wanted to see what I was getting into. No, I, I totally understand your sentiment, <laughs> but just the idea of like... I, don't, I feel like I'm sitting next yeah, to like the person who I would have at least taken wanted... a cab to the outskirts of Boston. <laughs> I, don't, I couldn't have... No. Yeah. Anyway. Um, cool. So... Uh, 
you know, the, the motivation to come here, that's interesting. And obviously as a professional educator, you know, Christopher and I are obviously all in on thinking that learning bushcraft and learning something useful about the natural world around you is a huge asset to an educator. Um, but it's interesting to hear your take on it. So, uh, that's very interesting. <laughs> so we wanted to talk about the role of, you know, women in bushcraft or women in the outdoors. And, and before we, before we hit the record button, Christopher was commenting, uh, we have a mutual friend, uh, Jenna Roselle, super badass woman who, uh, professional forager, professional forager. Awesome. Yeah. But what was she posted on her Instagram? Yeah, I saw the other day. Or if you're listening, Jenna, we hope you're doing well. Yeah, definitely. I think it was yesterday, but I saw that she had. Uh, it was just a short little video clip of her walking through like the hunting, the women's hunting section at some outdoor store, and it was all like frilly, lacy, pink camo. That for somebody that's actually like Jenna, that is actually out in the bush all the time doing this stuff. That is, it's hideous. Like it has no real purpose other than. Um, to sort of market to women that want to be quote unquote outdoorsy. And I just think it would be interesting to hear your guys' take. Cause like I wear the lacy underwear all the you're time. You're wearing it right now. I'm That's all it. you're wearing. That's all I'm wearing right now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have to really think about that stuff all the time and I can laugh and joke about it, but I don't, I don't deal with it on a day to day basis. So I would be curious to hear your guys' input on such frivolity. Hmm. I feel like when women are let into these more masculine um, lifestyles, we still get put in like a little box of pink and frills. And it just um, honestly doesn't surprise me because it seems like that's just the way that the market flows. People just think that women need, you know, weird scented pink paper, which I once found in a CVS. So, you know, things really have gone strangely for us yeah not only is it ridiculous it's somewhat offensive because it's non-functional yeah mm -hmm. like how many times have i bought a pair of pants and i can't get my hands in the pockets or store anything there because they're women's cut and pockets are evidently very masculine items to have <laughs> i don't know um, <laughs> um with all outdoor recreation sure maybe some things size wise like i'm 115 pounds and 5'3 i'm a small human but that doesn't mean that i want to have something that is perfectly tailored oh women's this women's that i i would assume also that that stuff costs more than Probably um so. than so, yeah. the traditional camo stuff or just outdoor gear that should be unisex anyway and that's like part of the pink tax so you pay it twice, right? Yeah. I've never heard that. I'm yes. going to write that down. So you pay more. Women end up paying more for marketing that's directed yeah, yeah, towards yeah. them. Uh, and then you also pay this, like, social tax for wanting to get in what you're saying, these, like, masculine... Um, adventures. Like, I know that even signing up for, for Bushcraft School, I wanted... To be absolutely sure there would be at least one other woman on the course and I'm so happy that a third of us three out of the nine students um, 
are women, which is so great. I didn't want to have to take on the burden of being the only female and having the only female's perspective uh, among the, my fellow students. And I feel like our group has gelled very well and it is not necessarily among gender lines, which I'm, I'm really happy about. It's not, I mean, you're a wonderful Allison. So you're is the other genius. woman on our, on our trip, but you're we're not horrible. Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't, but I don't feel compelled to, to stick in a, like a girl's click at all times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's just great. I mean, you know, by design. And I think, you know, the, it's interesting to me, um, I was studying, where did I read this? It was something about how kids, like kids' clothing, right? Mm-hmm. 50, I think, was it about 50 years ago? When was it? Right after World War II? All little kids' clothing was the same. Dresses. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, and little boys wore dresses. Yeah. But the idea was... I still that, wear dresses. So the idea was... <laughs> the idea uh. was that uh, you could... If you had, say you had 10 kids, this is post-World War II, people had a lot of kids. You had 10 kids, you could hand down the the clothing to the next kid, regardless of their gender, right? And then the clothing manufacturers said, wait, we're losing money here, so little girls need pink, frilly things, and little boys need, like, blue, masculine things. With pockets. Yeah, with pockets. Big, deep pockets. pockets. (laughs) So my friend just had a little girl uh, two days ago, and she did not find out the gender before having the baby, which is very uncommon. And a lot of her friends and family were upset with that decision because they wanted to buy the baby clothes. And she was like, it's fine. The baby, whatever gender will be, will wear the hand-me-downs from the big brother. Um, and that is a very unpopular... Hugely unpopular. <laughs> uh, ...idea right now is that, well, babies don't need to be, like, genderized and sexualized with frills and pink. And um, they can really just wear clothes. Yeah. Or, you know, you're a baby. Like, crawl on yeah, the <laughs> crawl Did on I care? <laughs> The uh, the story when I was a little kid, <laughs> uh, until I was a year old. Whenever my mom would leave the house, uh, and I don't remember this, I was told this, but my dad would turn my brother and I loose in the backyard. It had a little fence, no diaper, and then before he'd let us back in the house, he had the little gun on the hose, and he'd just you know shoot off our butts, clean us off, and then we could come inside. So pretty classic, you know. Probably <laughs> would probably get the, the 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 county called on him if he did that these days, but. I can I can commiserate with your friend. So my firstborn, my oldest, uh, we had three or four different ultrasounds, um, and they all said we were having a little girl, right? And I think they're they don't do that anymore now. It's like blood tape. They take blood and they can determine a hundred percent. But this was like witchcraft. You'd go in there and it looked like an old TV that had was not getting reception with rabbit ears, and the, the guy would be like, "You see that? That's his arm. He's waving at you." And I'm like, "I don't see anything." Anyway, I think it's a magic eye. You have to like cross your yeah, eyes exactly. to see the picture. Uh, so the um, so uh, the big day comes, babies. Here's the baby, and hey, those aren't little girl parts; those are little boy parts. Uh, so hi, Andrew. <laughs> so thankfully, we you know I wouldn't allow you know it was like we're gonna paint the room pink and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and uh, I kind of. I, I said, no, we're not repainting anything. Like, let's just wait and see, you know, because because I didn't believe that ultrasound guy. And ultimately, my skepticism was vindicated. And that's when Tim became bitter. <laughs> well, that, that that really aided to my... Yeah, it was the tipping point, right? Um, 
Yeah, but we just kind of hijacked this and went down a different path. But, you know... What else is new? To get back to, like, yeah, the, to, to women in bushcraft, like, you know, neither of these women showed up here. Neither of you have, like, an axe with, like, that's the handle's pink and with tassels on the end. Like, so thankfully, we don't have to play those, you know, ridiculous games here. But, you know, the... Uh, you know, the, the big, the big retailers trying to serve a mass market. It just seems like that's what they're constantly pushing. Um, but there's also a big pushback right now to DIY stuff and live minimally mm -hmm. and make your own clothes and grow your own food. And so I think there's a huge potential right now to get more and more women involved in bushcraft, maybe not under that term, but in like a more homesteading kind of manner mm -hmm. where people are interested in macrame and making their own soap or doing all kinds of things around their home that isn't buying stuff from big box stores. And I think that's a huge way into to doing a lot of the crafting that we've been doing. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Pinterest is full of things like that. So. so that actually, that was another thought I had while I was thinking about this last night, just because you mentioned Pinterest and I'm thinking of Instagram and stuff is, um, what do you guys think about the sort of, whenever I see photos on Instagram or wherever of women in the outdoors, they're all, they're very, they almost seem fabricated. Like it's a, you know what I mean? Like it's a very, like there's a certain image that it seems like people are going through, which is it's true of Instagram in any oh, way. Like but, almost seem fabricated? Well, <laughs> well you know what That's I mean, social right? Like media. Every, it's 100% fabricated. I hate to burst your bubble. They're, they're staged. I know, but that's what I mean. Like, do you think that that... <laughs> I've never felt more misunderstood than this exact moment. Okay, um, let's give it another shot. Let's let's no, circle back. I don't think I will. <laughs> um, no, but I I just wonder what you think about that. Where does do you think that sort of thing keeps people? I know it does. Um, I know it affects a lot of people that I know that are male and in this industry where like. The, they talk about like the layout of their pictures and everything's got to be a certain way. And I would just be curious to see what, because for most of the males, male people that I see that do that, male people, the men that I see that do this, it's, it's about like the right acts or the right. But for a lot of the ones I see that where women are online, um, it's like, you know, the hair is always perfect and all that kind of thing. And how do we. I don't know. Yeah, I washed I my know. hair yesterday for the first time in almost did two what? weeks. I know, right? Do you know about shampoo? Miracle look, product. Look at me. Do I look like I know about shampoo? <laughs> so I'm really conscious of this because a lot of people think I live a very glamorous life, especially since I left public school teaching and have been traveling the world and working abroad and now um, taking class here. And so I try to post a combination of things. So... Like I'll post beautiful vistas of what I'm, where I'm cycling, what I'm doing, and then I also posted a picture of me doing laundry in like a metal basin in a state park, saying like, you know, it's not all glamorous, no. and a lot of it is just as sucky as all those suckers in the city. But uh, the uh, uh, oh, but well done. she's learning. Uh, but the payoffs are so huge. Like yesterday when we like felled a tree and limbed it and made a one match fire and cooked tea that we had foraged the ingredients for over a pot of Aroostook River water, like that is so uh, empowering, I guess, like to say like I couldn't do all of that two weeks ago and now I can. And I didn't take a picture of it. And so that's an interesting thing. Did it too. happen? 
I don't know. Did it? If you if you don't take a picture post on Instagram, didn't happen. Oh, didn't happen. Man. There's no proof. We have like a, a up a, when we're doing uh, stuff in the field. You know, we always talk about safety because safety is important. But ultimately, we believe in safety last. Right, staged photo for Instagram first. I thought it was safety, safety last. Third, I thought it was staged photo for Instagram. I can only count to six. Remember, little that. Dan jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and then um it's tertiary importance yeah exactly uh so yeah it is interesting just the idea yeah, of, it, it's not enough to go do it anymore it has to be logged on social media to to display our in a thing. way that removes that makes it look like some easy thing that anybody can go do and still like not work hard to get there that's yeah. kind of what i mean like mm-hmm. And that's why when I post a picture of my spoon, people will be like, oh, cool, you carved it. And I, and it's such a, <laughs> people do think things are easy. And then you show something that isn't perfect. Yeah. And it's like, well, this did take me like six hours to make. Um, but there's and they, the. Yeah, the internet tells you that it's awful. Mm-hmm. And then. Yeah. Mm. Why would someone do that? Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. Why isn't the internet all like puppy dogs and rainbows and nice people? Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of fascinating. Um, yeah, I, I had never thought of that. But yeah, the, the whole like gender difference in posting and Instagram. Yeah, like the idea that, I don't know, women can't sweat, it seems like. You yeah, know or like I mean? you need to put yeah, on eyeliner exactly, in the like, campsite so that you look like you yeah, have so your face on. Yeah, so that when you post on. the picture, it looks mm-hmm. like you, you walked out your back door. Whereas, like, to me, the appeal of this stuff is that, you you know, like we obviously made clear, I don't know about shampoo or soap. So, like, me, to me, the appeal is that I don't have to worry about this stuff when I'm on trail. And I I can't really fathom what it would be like to, because to, I, I don't even think about that stuff when we're out. but I And I can't fathom what it would be like to feel like you need to. to so yeah, I'm the exact opposite because I travel with a style team. So before, before the picture gets taken, you know, I have somebody check my hair, check Tim, my makeup, Tim, check my clothes. Little Dan does not actually talk to you. <laughs> yeah. That's little Dan. Yeah. Our, our little doll that we bring with us on places. And Tim talks to. Yeah. Anyway. At night. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. That's not, this, this, that's really not podcast territory. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I, for one, am just super excited that we have, as is, I think as you guys are, that we have three women on the course. I'm the father of a young girl, and I love strong female role models for her of women who do things, women who, you know, they're not worried about their hair for their Instagram photo. They're more interested in, like, carving that spoon, swinging that axe. You know, or wielding, 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 wielding. And I'm just excited for that. Right. Like, I think that it's important for all young people to have good, solid role models that maybe aren't about flashy cars or, you know, the latest in fashion or whatever that, you know, that excites me. That makes my heart fill with joy for the next generation. So good on good on you guys for that. Um. I also really... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I still... I feel like um, there's something to be said where you can still be, like, feminine doing a masculine thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still be, um, you know, swinging an axe, doing all your safety precautions, and still get all of your Instagram photos, which are priority number one. You know, you can look good and, and do that, too, if that's something that you're interested sure. in. Yeah, the two aren't sure. mutually exclusive by any means, but I just mm-hmm. think maybe the... Like, the... the 
the motivation, I think, for some people is just to look good, right? And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, to look good when doing things. I mean, that's rule number 74 around here is always look good when you're doing things, right? Yeah, but it's the motivation. Are you looking good for yourself because you're proud of what you're doing? Or are you looking good because you're getting external validation from exactly. your followers? I Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think that's yep. succinct. Nailed it. <laughs> Uh, So we wanted to also just talk a little bit about education and, um, you know, I think uh, you guys each have a unique perspective on on education and kind of the role of what what you're doing here and how that fits back into the bigger picture of education. So, for example, learning about the tangible hands on uh, nature study, stars in the night sky, using them to navigate plants identifying plants in the field and then eating them or using them for medicine. So things, things along that line. So in your experience in teaching in public school, was there any sort of nature education that was tangible or hands-on? I'm a super huge component of experiential learning, no matter what field you're in, like taking kids on field trips and going places and doing things versus just learning about stuff. So while that was not a huge component at any of the schools I've taught at, um, I have taken kids down to Kentucky for a week and we went through Mammoth Cave and I've taken kids up into Canada and done a lot of um, history of the freed slaves going up into Canada and the routes that they took and how they navigated by the stars. And I think it really helps kids see the bigger picture. A lot of times you get tunnel vision in school where you're learning something in order to take a test rather than learning something to bake the pie a little bit bigger, like in terms of your understanding of how the world works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's a real gap between hard science that's taught in school and natural history, which is rarely ever taught in school. I think most people don't even know what anthropology or sociology is until they get to college if they go to college and they have the luxury of studying those things and I think that's too bad. Um, As a kid I uh, was in a father-daughter YMCA program called Indian Princesses and we did so much like native people's um, crafting and studying of uh, historic Uh, ways of life and a bunch of camping and I feel really grateful that I had that opportunity because it wasn't something I was ever going to learn in a public school setting. So I would, uh, Christopher has heard me rant from time to time about, um, you know, the the public school, the kids Mm. will do, the younger kids will do a unit on the rainforest, but none of the kids nor any of the teachers know the names of the trees that are outside of the school, like in the schoolyard. And I heard I was picking up my daughter from school, I think when she was in like first grade, and I heard one of the teachers like, don't go near, don't eat those berries, they're poisonous. And it was like a, it was a big cherry tree. So it was like a bunch of like pin cherries and they're not poisonous. They're actually pretty good. But they were red. So it was they like, were red. don't eat me. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I had a community garden at um, the last high school I had taught at and a lot of kids didn't know how did a tomato grow or how did a pepper grow or had never dug in the dirt and so that was a it's just and even those small things can help build a kid's understanding of where does our food come from what is how does nature do all the cool shit it does like produce all of these um amazing medicinal and edible plants for us that you know fuels everything 
That's really awesome. Uh, my sister, when she was in college, um, she went to kind of a rural college sort of near the swamp. It was really uh, far removed, but they had a place called the Food Forest. And it was like 10 acres of just all like edible plants. Like they had curated this forest over years and years and years. That is so awesome. It is really awesome. They would take um, the kids through and you could just pick stuff off. And these kids' face would light up. They had something called uh, miracle berries. Have you ever heard of these? No. Um, You eat them. And then everything you eat afterwards is oh, sweet. Oh, yeah. Like changes yeah. your taste buds. Yeah. yeah, and that's just, that's and magic for a kid to see that. and Or know. for an adult, I think I would think that was magic. Yep, definitely. I, yeah. I'm, I'm just learning about this now. <laughs> like, no one thought I should be briefed on this miracle berry up till this point. Up until when you September said I, 1st, 2018, yeah. I've spent how many years running around this planet not knowing about miracle berries? <laughs> I'm so pissed right now. Well... <laughs> Remember when you traded your wife's cow for magic beans? Yes. Yeah, miracle berries. That's what those were. Oh. You didn't know? I don't know. You didn't try them. You just put them in the ground. Right. Well, <laughs> next time you'll say one. <laughs> and it wasn't a cow, it was a car. <laughs> of course it was. I traded your car for three magic beans. <laughs> and that's why I live in a shack in northern Maine <laughs> by myself. <laughs> Um, but uh, so as far as the educational thing, another thing, um, that I've kind of noticed teaching up here over the last couple of years is the, how much easier stuff is when there is that gender balance. Like, I'm, you guys, like your whole group meshed really well, but I, you know, when I was a student, it was 12 guys and it got pretty, uh, cultish pretty quickly. And I just wonder, I would just be curious about your guys' thoughts on that too, because I've noticed a visible difference when it is like an age gap, age gaps and gender uh, sort of mixes together on these courses. Yeah, it's really great because yeah. uh, in a we've really stratified our lives in modern society in ways that yeah. humans have never really existed before, where you're really only interacting with people in your age band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this course, we have people who run the gamut from age. Uh, 18 to 40, which is great, all interacting, doing the same coursework. And then we have, uh, you know, three, three women and six men. And I think it's been really great. And I don't, I've never felt really patronized. I've never felt like I couldn't do the work. And I've always felt like everyone, uh, acknowledges each other's strengths and weaknesses. So I'm mm-hmm. super organized and good at taking you? notes. I no. know, right? Not I know you never guess that. And so I can I Gina cannot. Gina takes notes with watercolors. <laughs> like she goes she has this notebook where she's been taking all these notes over the last two weeks. And I looked over at one point and she was watercoloring in it. And I just that's a level of I don't want to call it neuroses. But I've taught fine arts for that, five fair years. Enough, fair that enough. is my that is my happy place. I get it. We're just we're happy when people write anything down. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like so far, so far, my experience has been like somebody handing me a notebook to check off on, and it's like, you know, it'll be a food log, and it'll be like a piece of pizza, and then they won't write anything for three weeks, and then hand it to me, and then yours is like color coded, and there's pictures in it. And it's just, it's way above what I feel capable of reviewing. Old habits die hard. Yeah. Good habits. Good habits. That's funny. But yeah, I just thought that whole, the sort of the age range and gender um, differences were interesting because I think that's probably how humanity lived for a long time. And I think it just, 
Yeah, it takes a village, to, right? Yeah, it was exactly. like everyone kind of separating into the skill set that they're great at and like living communally and mm-hmm. helping to raise children and helping to build uh, shelters for each other. Like that is like the basis for the family system is this like extended family community right. where everyone is contributing versus where a lot of Americans don't even know their neighbors and they're living in a, a very isolated space where they're interacting with their immediate family, the friends they choose, the online community they choose to be a part of. It's really nice to also branch out. We have people from Texas, from Canada, from Alaska, mm-hmm. from South Carolina. I'm from the Midwest. You're from Florida. It's nice mm-hmm. to also see like different regional uh, and like cultural names for plants or types of food that people eat or you know different people some people are from the military some have just gotten out of high school it's um super diverse and that means everyone can be a bushcrafter however old or young or whatever gender you are like we're all here doing it definitely i think that's it's that's not the point of the course here um but it's like i think i wrote something a while ago that that um, community isn't the purpose of us coming together, but it is the result, yeah, right? Like happens if you're if you know if you can't function in that community setting, this this isn't a good place for you. Yeah, and it's not that every day we start the day with a talking stick and everybody's tell me about your feelings every morning. It's not that at all, but it's just you know part of the process of living together in a remote area as a small group is. We need to make sure that everybody in the community feels safe and feels like it's a place where they can achieve what they're here to achieve. Yeah, it's interesting to me that other, you know, other schools and stuff, the talking stick is an ongoing joke up here, but that's a real thing that other schools do. But because of the picked up hundreds of sticks in my life, none of them have talked. Right. Not one. Um, But uh, I hate when you do this. Um, But no, I think that it is. the talking stick exists when you decide you're, it's almost, it's a very contrived way to get people to communicate as a group. But I, we, I think just the nature of what we're doing up here makes that happen anyway. And I think that's really interesting. I, I had a whole like sentence about this that was well thought out. And then you had to make a joke. I'm not joking. Find me a stick I, that talks. I get that you're you're not wrong, but it doesn't. Does anyone remember Stick Stickly from Nickelodeon? No, he was no. like a little tongue depressor that was like a host on Nickelodeon that would tell you what shows were coming up next. He talked. I've never met him. He's never been here. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> oh boy! Why why does it always happen? I don't, I don't know. Saturday morning, we're just. Hyper caffeinated, talking about talking sticks. Hyper caffeinated, <laughs> little fatigue. Definitely fatigued. Yeah. I wasn't until you made that joke, and now I'm exhausted. It's, it's not a joke. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, let's. Uh, anything else to discuss this morning? You guys. Nothing. Next up? time, I'm going to interview you for my podcast. That'd be great. Love to do it. Yeah. Um, happy to do it yeah so you can be on saturn returns podcast and we'll you know we'll flip the script i like it and yeah we'll we'll cross post that to the jack mountain podcast as well or at least put a link or something cool some way somehow but uh again thank you um everybody for being here this morning and uh for those of you out in podcast land if you found this episode useful please leave us a review or tell somebody about it help spread the word 
and we'll hit you back. We're going to try to maintain this two podcast a week thing throughout this semester. So it'll only be a few days before you hear from us again. So hope everybody has a great day. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 